Okay, coming down in three, two, one. Now, see, why'd you have to bang the desk like that? I was just about to start. I put the pin. What are you doing? <laughs> I put the pin down so I don't click it without thinking. Oh, well, good thing. Good thing you did that so you didn't make any noise with the pen. I'm leaving this in. That's how we're starting the episode. It's episode 10 of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. The idiot over here with his pen making noise is Levin Black. Idiot, whatever. Call me what you want. Just trying to be responsible here. I hear your pen clicking. That's right. I click it like the best of them. <laughs> hear that? This is good podcasting. One thing I found out about Levin Black, he is a pumpkin spice fiend. Everywhere he can get pumpkin spice, he, he can't get enough of it. In fact, at this very moment, right now, you are consuming a pumpkin spice adult beverage. Actually, not anymore. I finished it. <laughs> But uh, you you running for political office over there or what? Because that's an amazing spin from where this started off <laughs> off recording when I said, do you like pumpkin flavored stuff? And you said, no. And I said, I don't mind the beer. I'm not crazy over pumpkin things. He said he it, loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First of all, what office you said, are you running for? <laughs> I said, do you like pumpkin spice stuff? And I replied, do I look like I like pumpkin spice stuff? And you said you didn't know. That's like an insult to me. Who looks like, what's your typical look of pumpkin spice? Like for males, like female, maybe there's a stereotype there. Males? You know the type. The there's all kinds. Oh, there's all kinds of closet pumpkin people. And I <laughs> thought we had an honesty thing going on here. You know, that's true. There are closet pumpkin spice people. I will agree. They, they especially men, it, but privately, yes. they've especially got a lot. <laughs> That's true. I'm I'm delaying talking about the 49ers because every time I do, I just start yelling. Like as soon as you sign in tonight to the little room that we're in, I started screaming about Mike McGlinchey. Like I I can't stop. You you have to yell to be heard over the cricket you have in your room. There is a cricket in my <laughs> studio right now, and I've looked for this thing for like 45 minutes, and that sneaky <laughs> will not come out from wherever he's hiding. It's like, this is how people end up in mental institutions because they can't find a freaking cricket. I hope it's uh, it's not too bad in the recording, but I can't find him. And we have to come out with a podcast. So there you go. It's a three-man show tonight, apparently. Um, so what we want to do in this pod coming up, we're going to get into a little bit of some of the newsier stuff that happened today because Mike McGlinchey said something that's going to give me an aneurysm. And then we're going to get into some of the bigger picture stuff Um relating to the team going forward the rest of this year and beyond. Um, let's start with the news that Emmanuel Mosley was back at practice, but he was in the non-contact jersey. 49ers fans around the world are praying that Emmanuel Mosley comes back because they don't want Brian Allen to ever see the light of a football field again. Let's just assume that he can come back, Levin. How much of a difference do you think it'll make this week? I would like to say it makes a big difference. I think it will certainly be a big help. I don't know if it makes a big difference because I don't know how much the Niners truly have a chance with all the weapons that the Rams have. I mean, that's the best way to put it. I think, yes, obviously he's a big upgrade over what was out there last week. I mean, I, I would love to see, you know, Brian cut so that Seattle can go ahead and pick him up like they do all of because <laughs> he can go to another team yesterday, <laughs> which it's kind of harsh. I feel bad for him because players are humans. I try to keep that in mind. But goodness, if that was the best guy and we were using a practice squad spot on him, 
wow. I mean, <laughs> that, that was not good. He he was picked on left and right. But with Emmanuel Mosley coming back, it will be a big help. Will it be enough to make a big difference? Not unless another Niners team shows up from what we've seen. Yeah, that is the sad truth, unfortunately, because what we've seen so far this year has been bad. And the frustrating thing for me, Levin, is it seems like we all realize that, but the players themselves don't seem to realize that. They don't seem willing to admit that they are not good this year. And case in point, we heard it today. Mike McGlinchey at his press conference. He was asked about you know some of the clips that have been going online on Twitter of him looking, frankly, putrid. And here's Mike McGlinchey. Here's what he said. I don't really appreciate people who are the armchair quarterbacks that take a 30-second clip off of Twitter and think they understand offensive line play. I No, I don't understand. I don't like that. I'd ask those people to watch the, the entire game because um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, other than the one or two that have happened that have been glaring, I've been putting together a pretty good season and I keep continue to get better each week. Okay. I agree with you, Mike, that just because you see one bad clip of an offensive lineman on Twitter doesn't necessarily mean he had a bad game. But here's the thing. You can't say, except for two or three bad plays, I've been really good this year. That's the difference between a really good player and a piece of crap player is two or three plays a game. If you can't stop those, you're not any good. The good players do not have those. They don't have plays where you completely miss your block in your side of the field and the quarterback gets hit and fumbles the ball away and your team loses it. They don't have plays where when your team's trying to throw a 30-yard pass at the end of the game to try to win, you can't slow down your man enough for your quarterback to make a damn Hail Mary to the end zone at the end of the game. That's the difference between a good team and a bad team two or three plays from everybody. And if you don't get that, then you shouldn't have the job that you have. I don't even know where to start with what he said because every step of the way, it was like, what are you talking about? I mean, we, we can start with, the you know, as he said, one or two. In reality, it's two or three. He was downplaying it like he would probably want to. But like you said, you can't, you can't do that. And I think the biggest difference for him is even if you want to say he only has two or three bad plays, which I would argue he has more than that, but if you want to say he only has two or three, his are so egregiously bad that it takes it to a whole nother level. There's a difference between having a bad play where you're beat, but at least you kind of push the guy to the outside, make him come around the long way, give the quarterback time. He's not even doing that. When he messes up on a play, he whiffs, and he gives a free shot. Like, it is terrible. It's as bad of a snap as you can be, and he has two or three of those in a game. That's horrendous. That's if you weren't a first-round pick, your ass would be on the sideline. I mean, let's be honest here. If he wasn't a first-round pick, he probably would be on the sideline. But then you also get into, you know, all these 30-second clips. No, it's only a 30-second clip because you have to put something on Twitter. I mean, we watch the games. Even a casual fan can watch the game and go, holy crap, that's a bad offensive line. Even a casual fan can watch the games and go, wow, that whoever that right tackle is is getting beat constantly. It, it's not hard. It's that bad. It's not hard. I don't know. Yeah, there's a 30-second clip on Twitter. That's just showing what the problem is. It's not saying this is the only play. If you want all the plays posted, 
I don't know if Twitter can take all that. <laughs> yeah, the problem is it's only 30 seconds, Mike. No, I, I, I think he's right in that we don't always know which guy the lineman is responsible for based on the front and the play that you're running. But when I see you one-on-one -on -one with a guy and there's nobody else around and he blows past you like he a He looks like the bull. Cape. He looks like the bull with the cape, you know, just whips. Yeah. Like that's, I don't need to know the play call for that. Like clearly that's you screwing up. So it just, but it, it's not, I don't mean to just focus on McGlinchey because that comment pissed me off, but Trent Williams last week, oh, well, except for two or three plays and two or three penalties, I had a clean sheet and pass protection. Like, dude, <laughs> what is with this team 11? How can you keep saying Save for one or two plays, I did a good job. Like, do they not understand how many close games did they play last year that they won because they made those two or three plays? Now all of a sudden they don't matter. You can just throw those aside. Like, where did this mindset come from? And I don't get it because this team, of pretty much all the teams, should know the value of one play because they lost the Super Bowl because of one boneheaded play on defense. If that Tyreek Hill deep ball doesn't happen, they're Super Bowl champions, and there's no more of this quest for six. And I would think that the fan base is still in their euphoria of a Super Bowl win, so the Niners being two and three wouldn't matter as much as it does right now. Yet, here's this team. I mean, I, I don't get it. You, They should know, more than any other team, the value one play can have. And when that one play in this scenario is the quarterback getting destroyed to the point that he fumbles, as you put it, I mean... What are you talking about? Your job is to make sure the quarterback get, doesn't get hit, let alone get annihilated with a free shot. It's that simple. I don't understand that whole mindset. I mean, you're talking about one play. Look how they became the number one seed. One play, that stop on fourth down where they kept one inch. the guy an inch from the goal line. Like, literally one play, the last play of the regular season. I, I don't understand how these guys can keep saying that I'm, I'm assuming when they go and watch the film, the coaches are saying, Hey, you got blown up on this rep. That sucks. You can't do that anymore. And I don't know. Levin is, if it, is it a Kyle Shanahan issue? Is that what he's telling these guys? Like trying to pump them up? Like, Hey, you're not as bad as everyone's saying. We just got to shore up a couple of things and then we're good. But if that message from coming is coming from him, it's the wrong message right now. Cause it's clearly not helping. I don't know what Kyle's saying behind closed doors. He could be having a different tone behind closed doors. Nobody knows. But what he's saying to the media is a very, very, very similar tone. So it could be these guys just mimicking that. Hey, I got to deal with the media. I mean, we all know there's very few players who care to deal with the media. Very few. So they might just be mimicking what their coach is doing to the media to get through it. But that's the wrong thing because it allows them to have an excuse and you don't want excuses. They need to be saying, and the coach needs to be saying, we up. It's that simple. I'm making you use your bleep button because I think it's important to stress the point on that. They are messing up. That, that's all there is to it. And they need to admit that because admitting it is the first step, right? <laughs> I mean, right now they're in denial. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're two and three right now. You the time for denial is over. Like if you win this week, there's a chance, a chance that you can get into the playoffs. But if you lose, and I think we both think they're going to lose this week, it's over. Like 
it is done. You're not climbing out of that hole, especially with the schedule you have remaining. So the time for denial is over. The time for everything is over. You need to get in a room, admit your shortcomings, and figure out how to fix it. Because if you don't, then 2020 is a lost season. I think the Niners at this point are, yes, they could be they could be playing any team. I would say they have a chance of winning. It might be small, but they have a chance of winning. But I'm in the mode of prove it to me. I'm not picking you. I'm not having confidence you're going to win until you prove it. Because the crap that's been on the field is bad. And it's not just, oh, they had a couple plays that didn't go their way. You know, they had a weird fumble that bounced right to the opponent or a tipped pass that went right to the opponent. It's not even that. It's a terrible scheme and terrible execution. It is bad across the board, like we said in the instant reacts. That to me means you got to prove it to me before I'm ever having confidence in you winning again. And they happen to have a very good opponent. The Rams are kind of back on top of their game right now. And that sort of gets us into one of the broader issues we wanted to look at, because you mentioned scheme and certainly on offense, it has not been good for the 49ers. And last week they had everybody back. They may not all have been 100% healthy, but they had all the skill guys back and they could not get it going in that game. So when it comes to Kyle Shanahan, how would you rate him so far? And how much has your confidence in him changed from the beginning of the year? I don't think it could be anything other than an F for so far this season. I mean, it's been bad. You were a top contender. You're two and three and your quality on the field has been terrible. You're literally in the argument for the worst team outside of New York. You, You could be the third worst team. It's to the point where people are literally talking about, do they win another game? You know, that, that's actually a topic right now. It might not be <laughs> super confident topic, but it's an actual topic. I don't see how it could be anything other than that. If, if you want to give a D minus due to injuries and have a little bit of an excuse for that, whatever. But guess what? That offense was healthy last week, and that was one of the worst offensive displays I've seen in the Kyle Shanahan era other than the obvious Brian Hoyer, Hoyer type when nobody knew the system yet. So that said... Yeah, my confidence is taking a hit. Honestly, it's hard for me to gauge how much it's taking a hit. But I came into the season confident Kyle was a great coach. Now there's at least some doubt creeping in there of are the, the issues that everybody's known he's had as a coach are permanent issues. He's not going to learn. And that's exactly what I was going to say. The issues that I've had with him this season are a lot of the same issues I had with him last season abandoning the running game, you know, not, not sticking with plays that have worked in key situations. How many times do we see those wide receiver sweeps with Debo or IU first drive of the game that worked great. And then they disappear and we never see them again. And he's done it multiple times. He did it in the super bowl. It's, it's frustrating that it seems like he keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. And I feel like he is not good at adjusting in game. He has an eye. He's very good at coming up with a plan. Most of the time, his plan is so good that it works throughout the entire game. But if it doesn't, if, if he gets anything that he didn't expect, I don't think he does a good enough job adjusting. And that was another thing McGlinchey basically said was, well, we're seeing all these exotic fronts and we need to get back to our basic rules to sort of counteract when we see something we didn't expect. Well, well number one, why didn't you expect it? And number two, like, If you've noticed that happening this year, like week two, get on that, you know, and I just, 
if there's one pebble in the machine, Shanahan's whole machine crumbles, and that's not good because the NFL plays, you know, in a quarry, for lack of a better metaphor. Yeah, I mean, there is always been that question on whether or not Shanahan needs somebody over him as a head coach while he's the offensive coordinator that can reel him in when he is getting full of himself, when he's trying to be too cute. You know, it's a fine line, I think. He has immense confidence. He has a huge ego in his ability to call plays, but that also sometimes bleeds into a negative from the positive of being confident to where it turns into kind of cockiness where he thinks he doesn't need to run the same thing because he has all these other great plays over here that he can run because he's such a genius. They're all going to work. And he doesn't go back to what works. Even when times get tough, he thinks, well, I'll just go to my next brilliant play. (laughs) I mean, sometimes confidence leads into a negative. And I think that is the problem he has. And that is the question that still remains with him. Can he check himself? when he needs to, or does he need a head coach to do it? And that's why he's not head coach. But in the Packers game, in the NFC Championship game, he did stick with what was working. They threw eight passes in that game. He ground the Packers into dust. It was awesome. Even in the Vikings game, he pounded the ball. Like, I've seen him do that where he says, they're not stopping this, so I'm going to stick with it forever. I just don't know why he doesn't do that all the time. I can't tell you. (laughs) that that's the basic part of it is it doesn't make sense. Everybody is having these criticisms of him to use the McGlinchey thing. The armchair quarterbacks are saying the same thing. Why didn't he run that play again? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know why he's not, but it's frustrating and it is the wrong call. And it's why my confidence in him has taken a shot and why he has an F grade on the season. In my opinion, Uh, My confidence in him has definitely taken a shot because I I actually heard someone say what you're saying. Is he one of those guys that's just a better coordinator than a head coach? And then if you asked me last year, I would have said no. But this year, I think it's a fair question to at least ask. I'm not ready to say that the answer to that question is yes as of right now, but I think it's a fair question to ask. And if what you're saying is true, that he needs someone to check him, there's nobody in that organization that's going to do it. Because he's everybody's boss except for Jed York. There's only one person that can do it at this point. And I think I said this to you after last week when we got off, or maybe it was after the reaction pod. There's only one person that can check Kyle Shanahan, and it's his dad. His dad, he still talks to his dad all the time. He had an office for his dad there, I think, at the beginning of the of the year last year in training camp. Like his dad had an office with the uh, in the facilities. Like his dad, Mike, clearly has influence. To me. He's the only guy then that can check him and say, look, Kyle, you got to change what you're doing. You, this ain't working. You got to, you can't keep making these mistakes. And I think Kyle will listen to him. I just don't know if Mike is going to, you know, he might not want to talk to his son like that. I can't tell you what their relationship is, but just to be clear, I'm not ready to say that either about Kyle. I think he has a lot of the things you look for in a head coach. Cause he's clearly one of the best minds at what he does. He's, one of the best offensive minds in the game. And I think he does a really good job of getting the players to buy in. And that's one of the most important qualities in a head coach, getting the players to buy in. It's just, if he's going, it's kind of, I don't even think he's quite in this level yet, but this was a criticism that was pretty much all the way up until last year of Andy Reid. He can make a phenomenal game plan, 
you will not do well in the first half against Danny Reed, but he's not going to adjust. In the second half, if you make the right adjustments, you're going to see a comeback. And he had that in Philadelphia all the time, and he still had it in Kansas City. He was a phenomenal game planner, called plays with the best of them, but he would not adjust to the game situations, and he was not good at kind of taking a step back and looking at the game in the broader sense and adjusting to that. He was so stuck on the moment and that specific play that he would kind of lose sight of the bigger picture that the head coach needs to be responsible for. I think that's the question that Shanahan has right now. And I don't even think he's at that point of the Andy Reid because he's not winning all the time. Let's be honest. He's right now in his third losing season out of four. Andy Reid was at least winning every single year in Philadelphia. That is a fair point. I even saw uh, Michael David Smith from Pro Football Talk said, "Do you can you think of a head coach GM combination with a losing record right now that has more security than John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, who both got new contracts this offseason? And at first I was mad at, at MDS, but then I was like, you know what, man? You're kind of right. Like, that is fair. They, they are under 500. I know they went to the Super Bowl last year, but on the whole – they have lost more than they've won, and that is that is a fact. And to quote a few good men, it is not in dispute. Now, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but coming up after the break, we're going to get into a little bit on Robert Sala, and then we're going to zoom out a little more because you asked me a question about John Lynch and whether I think he deserves any blame for this season. So we're going to get into those, those two things after the break. All right, Levin, we're back. Thank you for not clicking your pen when I was trying to talk. I do appreciate that very much. You were taking another drink of your pumpkin spice chai mocha, whatever you got over there. I don't even know what that is. It just looks like a whole bunch of orange. It's a clear colored pumpkin thing called water. <laughs> so, okay, we got into Kyle Shanahan a little bit. Now let's get into Robert Sala. Obviously, he's taken a ton of criticism this week from us, from pretty much every show on this network, and even the national, you know, analysts that I've seen and, and some of the local guys in San Francisco have, have crushed Sala because of what happened with Brian Allen last week. Are you at the point right now where you're going to say, no matter what happens this year, you're done with Robert Sala and the 49ers should move on? If they can get Dan Quinn, absolutely. Ooh. Depending on who, who's out there, it I mean, it depends on who they can bring in. If there's no clear, great defensive coordinator out there, you might want to keep the status quo, but I think it's a legitimate question because I think the underrated part of that question is that Richard Sherman is a free agent and there's a question on whether or not he's going to come back because it depends on how much he wants. He wasn't all pro last year. So if he comes back and plays well at the end of the season, he might want another big contract. Now he might be hard to find it, but some team will probably give it to him if he's willing to go anywhere. He might take a discount to stay on a contending team and stay in San Francisco because the job's not done or whatever. But if he wants big money, they could move on from Sherman. And if they move on from Sherman, they kind of have a little bit more freedom to go to a new system because there's nobody really. I don't want to say Sherman needs that system, but that system definitely plays to his strengths. In a lot of ways, I feel like that system was almost it wasn't built for him. I don't want to put it that way, but he was definitely handpicked, I think because he fits that system so well. So could he could he play in a system where he's forced to basically match up man-to-man a heck of a lot more? You know what I mean? Could he play in a system where his speed become or lack of speed becomes a bigger issue? I don't know. So if Sherman's not coming back, 
do you want to go to a new system? I think that's a legitimate question. And that doesn't even get into the whole point of, is Robert Sala actually good at his job? So are you saying you'd like to see the 49ers bring in Dan Quinn this year? Because they could do that right now. He's a free agent. He's available. He's got the time. That's what I would like to see. I, the thing that makes me wonder, I wonder if Dan Quinn can get another head coaching job. Because I think he still has some level of respect amongst the league to where he'll probably get some interviews. I would be surprised if he doesn't get an interview or two. But if they can bring him in right now, there's no reason not to. You know, we we, we mentioned, we had to confirm it because we were both confident, but we weren't 100% sure. They coached together, Robert Sala and Dan Quinn. Sala worked under him uh, a year in Seattle. That's part of where Sala learned the system was under Dan Quinn. So I think that it's not going to be as, it's kind of, it's, it's a difficult situation because you have Robert Sala who's been in charge of the defense. And if you bring in Dan Quinn, who's coming off being a head coach, was the head coach to Kyle Shanahan and was the defensive coordinator over Robert Sala, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there of who do you really listen to if he's brought in to help on the defense. But at the same time, he's so good at what he does. I mean, yes, Atlanta's defense has not been good, but a lot of that is player personnel. That I th- I think with their prior relationship, it could work. And Dan Quinn, somebody needs to come in there because the scheme that was out last week is inexcusable in my opinion. And I won't say it 100% confirms, but it makes it quite likely that Salah is just not very good at it. I like the idea of bringing in somebody outside the bubble, so to speak. Bring in an outside perspective that's not part of this 49ers group. And by the way, Dan Quinn's team beat the 49ers at home last year when the 49ers had all their, you know, not all their players, but a lot more healthy players and were playing a lot better. So he may have some interesting insight there that maybe, you know, you haven't thought of. It's always good to get outside perspective. So I wouldn't mind to see that at all. Um, I think here's the thing. I think there are some coordinators that make a huge difference and that are massively important. Dick LeBeau was one of those guys for years. Belichick, when he was a coordinator and obviously now as a head coach. There, um, Wade Phillips would be another one. There are some guys that make a huge difference who are awesome. And then there are other defensive coordinators who are just, okay, they're totally fine, league average guys, and they need studs to really shine. And I think Robert Sala is one of those guys. I think his schemes are fine. But if he doesn't have all his studs, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's good enough to scheme up less than elite players into an elite defense, which is something that Bill Belichick has done and something other guys have done. So if you're asking me if I think they should move on from him, my answer would be yes, only because I think you can bring in another guy who's basically just as good or bring in a guy who's a lot better. I don't think you're going to, you know, I think he's easily replaceable. I, I can get behind that. And it's kind of funny because last week I was on here kind of defending Salah because the defense had played well up to that point despite the injuries. But we did kind of mention that, yeah, the, the play the play quality has not been good. And we just, I think he got exposed this past week. Because like I said, it's inexperienced inexcusable to come out and leave a guy on an island who literally just got promoted off the practice squad like like he did i mean he adjusted way too late to that and the part that really kind of bothers me and has kind of stuck with me is he wasn't even the one that adjusted it was witherspoon coming and saying put me in the damn game that was the only adjustment he made 
Right. Like, Salah didn't even really adjust. He just pulled he pulled the guy because a better guy came along and said, you know what? I'm going to risk injury. Put me in. If if they come out this week and you know they have maybe they move Jimmy Ward to corner and they have more in at safety, if they if they do a couple of things like that, I'd certainly feel a lot better about Salah and his game planning than I do right now. I will say this. If they choose to move on from Salah, which we are very early in the season to be saying this, I mean, a lot can change. But if they choose to, that would have to be the most desirable spot to go amongst the defensive coordinators that are out there. Because you're joining a team that can contend right away, that has an offensive guy that is going to help you because he run Shanahan still, even though he hasn't run as much as we want, he still runs the ball more than almost any other offensive coordinator in the league, which helps the defense. And on top of that, you're going to be getting an all pro caliber guy on the defensive line in Nick Bosa. You're going to be getting another pro bowl caliber guy on the defensive line in Eric Armstead. You're going to be getting perhaps the best linebacker in the league in Fred Warner. And you're going to get all kinds of speed from the safety position with Jimmy Ward back there. Who knows what happens with Tart at this point, but you have, really good pieces on all levels, including some truly top end talent that has got to be like, if that position comes open, any defensive coordinator that's available and even somebody like a Wade Phillips might go, you know what? I I'm going over there. I'd love to see Wade Phillips get the job. First of all, (laughs) because the man is a treasure. Like let's be Wade Phillips is a treasure. I'll never forget seeing him at the super bowl, the year that he, that McVay was hired and they were going around, I think it was either the Super Bowl or maybe the Combine. I can't remember which. But they were going around together. And Wade is there with Super Bowl ring on and cowboy boots just rolling. Like, I'm here. What's up? I got my 10-gallon hat. Son of bum. And I I like that. I like a guy with a little swag. It's good. Plus, he's hilarious on Twitter. So I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if they choose to move on from Salah, there's a very good chance they can get an upgrade. That is a very fair point. Now, last question that we want to address before we end this thing, because you asked me before we went on the air, and I don't know if we're going to agree on this. You asked how much, if any blame, does John Lynch deserve for putting this roster together? You asked the question, so I want you to answer first. (laughs) Or should we answer at the same time? I'll just go ahead and go. You know, I'm thinking of it as how much blame does John Lynch have for this team being two and three? Because I haven't really seen his name brought up a whole lot with all of this. It's been Salah, Kyle, and the players. To me, I believe that he deserves... I mean, you can't say he has no blame because he picked a lot of injury-prone players. I mean, that's still a staple of this team. They haven't learned their lesson on that. But I think he deserves very little of the blame. A lot of this... The Niners could easily be 3-2, and 4-1 and one with better coaching or better execution from that offensive line. I don't think he deserves much, if any, blame. I totally agree. I was going to say none, to be honest. First of all, the roster has a lot of talent. But second of all, Shanahan picks the players. Shanahan is Lynch's boss. Nothing happens on this (laughs) team that Kyle Shanahan doesn't want to happen. So I don't know how you can ding John Lynch for some of the roster decisions when Kyle has the ultimate power to overrule him. Like, for all we know, John Lynch didn't want to bring in some of these injury-prone players, but but Kyle Shanahan said, screw you, do it. You work for me, son. For all, for all we know, John Lynch wanted to address the offensive line, and Kyle said, no, they're good enough. And maybe maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't, you know. 
All I'm saying is we don't know for sure. And actually, Kyle was asked on Wednesday about, hey, you a lot of the guys you brought in are injury prone, like D Ford and some of the other people. And Kyle's response basically was, everybody gets hurt in football, so it's hard not to bring in a guy with an injury history just because the you know the injury rate's 100 percent was basically what he said. You just rolled your eyes. Why do you disagree? Because there's there's no it's a verifiable fact. Some guys get hurt more. Some guys' hamstrings are not as good. Some guys' bones are more brittle. I mean, it's not everybody's body is the exact same. And when you you watch over a career, it's pretty easy to see when guys have injury issues because they're injury prone. That's a legitimate thing. D Ford, what do we know about him right now? He has a neck injury. What did he have surgery for when he was in Kansas City? What was the concern in Kansas City and why Kansas City didn't want to give him a big deal? They were scared he wouldn't be able to play a long career because his neck was an issue. Am I wrong on that? I know no. he also had knee issues, but I think it was his second season. He had neck neck surgery with Kansas City. Like that was a known issue and something that could also rear its head again. And that's a big reason why Kansas City did not want to give him a long-term huge contract. And the Niners did. The Niners took that risk. I don't think you can get away from criticism for taking the risk on a player that was believed to be injury prone and has been injured with the exact two injuries that everybody said were a big risk. Here's my response to that. It's not necessarily to me taking an, a risk on an injury prone player. It's how many of those risks do you take? And here's my, because I bring up Nick Bosa. You're talking about a guy that had a torn ACL in high school and that missed basically all of his last year in college because he had a torn, I don't know, core muscle or some sort of muscle injury. And then he doesn't even get into like one training camp and hurts his ankle. Memory missed all of basically the preseason his rookie year. And now this year he's got a torn ACL. But if you ask me, should the 49ers not have drafted Nick Bosa, I would say, hell, of course they should have drafted Nick Bosa. The dude's incredible. But you can't deny he had an injury history as well. So I think it's not just do you take a risk on an injury-prone player. It's how many of those guys do you take that risk on and how important are they to your defense or offense or team in general. Because, you know, if you have an injury-prone receiver – but you also have three other wide receivers on your team. You're not hurt if that injury prone player goes down because you've got the depth there behind it. But if those are key guys at your spot and you're thin at those spots, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I mean, we can put it this way. Nick Bosa was a no brainer. You got to draft him when he's there. You can't fault them for taking Nick Bosa. What you can fault them on is deciding to put Nick Bosa with D Ford. You knew Nick Boza had injury issues. You probably shouldn't have gone for D Ford in retrospect. Yes, it was a good deal when it happened. A lot of people thought it was, you know, I don't think anybody said, wow, this is a terrible deal when it happened. But there was a risk that everybody knew about and everybody talked about at the time, and it's come to fruition. And in retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you're unifying a, you know, number two overall pick rookie who has injury, long injury history, with a guy who has a really long injury history in the NFL, probably not a wise choice. You should have gotten a safer pick and spent that money elsewhere on a safer thing. I mean, I, I am not for going for these type of guys, but it should be noted that Frank Clark replaced D Ford and he came cheaper 
and is doing better and is actually playing. I'm not for bringing in guys with the character flaws that Clark has. Um, but I also think you, you need to be wiser. You know, if you're getting an injury prone player on one side of the line, don't go get another one on the other side. Even if it means being worse, if that other guy ends up being healthy. Well, that's see, so what the 49ers response to that be. And I know Kyle would say this because he's basically said it in press conferences. Look, we needed pass rushing and you can't get pass rushers unless you got a super high pick, like how they got Bosa or, you know, you got to pick a guy with warts basically because they don't get to the free agent market. So they found a guy with some warts in D Ford and they, they thought it was a risk worth taking because when they are both healthy, it's an elite combination and they wreck offensive game plans and they kind of rolled the dice on that and said, Hey, we have to take the risk. Cause if it pays off, we get to a super bowl. And they did now again, how many of those risks do you take? And are the 49ers taking too many of them? Jalen Hurd had a long injury history. He hasn't been able to get on the field. Jarek McKinnon never got a big deal from Minnesota because they were worried he couldn't carry the load. And he's played basically one out of three years so far. And we're, we're only five games into this thing. Debo Samuel had, was was nicked and had some injuries in college too. Like so, again, how many of those risks do you take? Yeah, Ayuk's right there with Debo. I mean, he had injury issues in college as well. I think, I think maybe what we're seeing is when John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan came to this team, they had to take risks. The roster was terrible. They had to take risks to get top end talent in order to improve and make this a team that could win. They're now at the stage. They don't need to take risks. They need to get safe guys that they know will contribute, or at least, you know, injuries happen, obviously. I mean, Shanahan's right about that. Anybody can get injured at any time. But go for the safer pick. You know, maybe don't spend $16, 17000000 million on D4. Spend $10, 12000000 million on another guy and also get a second-tier guy with the rest of that money or improve another position with with the money that's left over. I feel like they, they never trans transitioned out of that. We're going to take these big gambles on players. Cause Quan Alexander was a big gamble too. He was injured. He was a pro bowl caliber player who was injured, got injured again, and has never been the same. He's never been that pro bowl caliber guy after the start he had to last season prior to injury. I feel like they don't need to take those risks anymore, but they still are. They're still going, well, this guy could be really, 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 really good if he's healthy. So we're going to take that risk. And he fits the system. That's the key, too. I feel like Kyle looks at like a guy like Ayuk, who, by the way, you know, he, he did get hurt already once this year. But he's I think he's been good when he's been on the field. But I think he says he fits the system. He's perfect. He's the perfect guy to get. We got to get him. And it's like, yeah, that might be true. But there are other factors at play here and injuries is one of them. And by the way, this isn't the first year that the 49ers have been very injury prone. Last year, they had a ton of injuries too. They were just able to overcome them. So is this the year that's the wake-up call for Kyle and company then? Do you think that after this year, they say, look, we got to change our thinking here. We can't gamble as much as we are. Let's get guys that are that we know at least will be out there that are going to be solid and hope that a couple of those lottery tickets end up hitting the jackpot and these guys are better than we think they're going to be like Kittle. I certainly hope so. And they're certainly going to get a chance to prove it in my opinion, because they're going to be able to create a crazy amount of cap space. I think a lot of 
non 40 I think 49er fans are pretty aware of the amount of cap space they can create, but I think the casual fan doesn't realize it. This is not the LA Rams. They are not tied to everybody. <laughs> pretty Anybody. much. You know what I mean? They they can move on from Quan. They can move on from D. They could we don't want to approach this subject yet, but they could move on from Jimmy. They could create a massive amount of cap space. And I think it should be noted, and we'll, we don't need to get into this yet because it's a long way off the offseason. But this offseason, I've mentioned it before, and I really think it's going to come to fruition. It could be the best year to have cap space because the cap is going to be lower. There's going to be so many teams that don't have the cap space to chase free agents for one. And there's going to be an unusual amount of cap casualties because teams are going to have to get down in cap space. And there's going to be even better bargains out there of vets. So if you're one of the few teams that have cap space, you're going to be able to get a lot better use of that money than in normal years. What the hell is in that pumpkin spice over there? That was a really good point. <laughs> hey, I'm due for one every episode. Are they spiking those <laughs> things or where are you getting them? well it's a beer so yeah it's spike <laughs> um no you're right that is an interesting point like there could be some guys that teams don't want to cut but because of the salary cap going down maybe they just have to and that could be to the 49ers advantage i i hate that it's you know what is it october 15th and we're talking about you know what they might do in the off season i hate that like i thought we were done with those years we we paid the iron price to get to where we are now we went through the the two and 14 years the four and 12 years we're not supposed to be there anymore i feel like that guy in shawshank i'm not supposed to be here there's been a mistake but here we are i feel like princess bride inconceivable Oh, God. And we still have a game this weekend that we haven't even previewed because we just feel like it's going to be an absolute walk. Like, my only question is, does Aaron Donald flat out murder Jimmy Garoppolo or does he just cripple him? Oh, it's not going to be pretty. I, I, I'm i not convinced the Niners will get blown out. I'm just not confident in their ability to get a win. That, that That's all there is to it. Now, could we preview it more? Certainly. But there's not much to say other than the Rams are clicking on offense. And Aaron Donald is the worst possible player for the Niners to be playing against right now. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like Aaron Donald is the worst possible player to be facing off against when your offensive line is in shambles. The only thing that helps is like they faced him before, I guess. So maybe they have an idea of what to do, but it's yeah. I, I don't know. Honestly, I think it's going to be bad there. The problem is like you said, they have a shot to win every game. They do, but their margin for error is so small. They can't turn the ball over at all. They have to be able to run the ball. If they can't run the ball, they have no shot to win. And they can't get down by more than one score because they can't pass the ball enough to come back from large deficits. That's such a narrow path to victory here. I mean, if any one of those things doesn't happen, you lose. And that's it's really hard to win that way in the NFL, especially you know stacking wins together. And there's also one more variable. They have no margin for error on injuries. <laughs> They've had so many that one guy going down, especially like somewhere like cornerback, and they are screwed because they're already using their backups pretty much everywhere. I think we can play with like 13 or 14 guys out there. If one of them's Brian Allen, like, do you think Sean McVay would even be mad? Uh, I mean, technically, the game couldn't end. <laughs> Just keep having defensive penalties. Game can't end on a defensive penalty. Well, no, penalty. they can decline it, right? 
Well, I guess, yeah, eventually they might decline it. Well, now we're screwed. <laughs> hey, there, there's the strategy. Just have a game that takes three weeks to play because you have right off the bat before there's ever a score, before the clock can be running, just have defensive penalties, make it last three weeks, and, hey, everybody's getting healthy. <laughs> you get Sherman back. You get... <laughs> right. The other team just gets mad and forfeits, or we eventually get all the guys back. <laughs> there you go. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. If you like what you hear, maybe not about the team, but us in general, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. If you leave a question in your comment, in your rating, or it's your review, I should say, we will answer it. We'll happily answer it on the show. If it's stupid, I will yell at you, but we will answer it, I promise. So please leave us questions in the reviews. For Levin Black, I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Try to enjoy the game this week, and we'll talk to you next time.